Episode three of Glass of Joe is a go with my now well-groomed friend, PJ Glasser. You like I'm that, Joe don't Mata. you? Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah. How did that feel to get a haircut finally? Joe, so good, dude. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's the back of my neck is probably thanking me because it can fi- finally <laughs> breathe and see the air. But, oh, uh, man. No, it felt good. It, it's, it's nice to be able to not have all that hair on my head. I got lucky because... My grandfather's a barber, so I got it cut a couple of weeks ago and uh, I stayed clean. And I'm getting it cut again this weekend. So something to look forward to this weekend. But not the only thing to look forward to this weekend. For the last three weeks or so, we've kind of been getting by on NASCAR, on Bundesliga, and on UFC. And side note on that, I don't know if you watched it all this weekend, but if you haven't, Cody Garbrandt's knockout, look it up, one of the best you'll ever see. And Amanda Nunes continues to just dominate and clean out two women's divisions. So it was, it was a pretty good pay-per-view. And Fight Island got announced finally. So that whole, that, that whole yeah. joke, that's a real thing now. But we've been getting by on those three entities. Bundesliga, UFC, NASCAR. Something is back this week, PJ. Yes, well, it I'm is. I'm looking forward to my haircut. You are looking forward to the return of the PGA Tour. Oh, man, am I ever. <laughs> Joe, I mean, there are a few things I look forward to more during a week than when I wake up on a Thursday morning and I get to see my golf DraftKings lineup. And I see that of my six players, three are already plus five <laughs> through the first nine holes, and I'm already out of it. But I'm, I'm fired up. And what's great, too, about the golf is, I mean, we got a great field this week. Top five players in the world, 16 of the top 20. These guys are itching to play. They want to play. They know they want to get their FedEx Cup points so that they can make the FedEx Cup playoffs, get ready for those major championships. So I'm pumped for the field this week at Colonial. Put a little, put a little money, a little sprinkle on Justin Rose this week at Colonial. One there in 2018, and uh, I, I think Rosie's a guy who hits it in the fairway and putts well, which you need to do at Colonial. And I think, I think he's a good play this week. And the beautiful thing about betting golf too, right now for the first couple of weeks, is there's so much unknown. Oh, so yeah. take a flyer on one of these, you know, guys who has great odds to to win that you can win a lot of money off of. Yeah, the two guys that stuck out to me, and it's not really going out on a limb, and you're not going to get great odds, but I was looking at Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. Why? Justin Thomas, he, the medalist member, he was there, killed it on the TNT coverage of the match. I, I, I think he's been playing plenty of golf, and I think he won't be that rusty. I know a lot of these guys, whether it's Arizona, Texas, Florida, have been playing plenty of golf now yep. and staying sharp, but particularly him, he's been around a TV setting. He knows what that was like with no fans, so I, I like that. And then I think Kepka just just because he's always been the guy who says, like, I don't like golf and I don't practice much. So if anybody is unaffected by all that's <laughs> happened, it's him. He's like, that's he true. probably kept the same routine. He probably couldn't care less of whether or not there are or not fans there. And he's just the best golfer in the world. So uh, those two guys is, is who I would look at for a pick. But uh, it's, it's good to have it back. And now every, every Thursday or when we, when we record, we can have our, ourselves a, uh, a little PJ DraftKings lineup segment going forward and, and pick ourselves a winner each week. We're starting to get back to live sports, people. It's yes, exciting. It is. Um, they're starting to kind of come by the week now. Uh, we still have no clue about baseball. Baseball's still arguing. We don't know what we'll see. And I know Rob Manfred said that if it gets to a certain point, he just might institute something that both sides have to agree to. I don't know how that works, if it could get yeah. ugly. Uh, but the NBA was the big story last week for our episode, and, and it's continued to remain one of the lead stories because they've kind of fleshed out the, the rest of how it's going to work with you know, no PED test. I mean, sorry, PED testing, but no recreational drug testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, y- you can go to golf courses 
but you, you can't take your family who's quarantining with you to the Disney parks. Like they've started to release all those details. So general thoughts, I guess, on how you kind of view this plan now that it's been fully sort of released to the public, all details included. I, I mean, for me personally, I, I think that everything they could have done so far to lay out what's going on, they have hit the mark on. Adam Silver, we've talked about, we think he's probably the best commissioner in all of sports. On paper, it looks great. Now with the MLS heading over to Disney World as well, it makes things a little more crowded. A little bit. A little bit. You have the parks reopening, so people will be over there. So you definitely have a lot of people over in Disney World, um, including the NBA players. Until somebody, though, gets this virus, hopefully nobody does, but until somebody does and we see this action going planned and how they limit the spread of it, we'll truly know how effective this is. But from everything they've released and what we've seen, I mean, there's no reason. They, they've they, got, yeah, yeah, they've got the plan in place. They, they know what they want to do. Just a matter of execution when the time comes. And that's, that's just a kind of wait and see thing. You hope, like you said, nobody gets it. Somebody does. How well can they execute the plan that they have in place? Right. And I think they they pretty much answered every question for the most part that anybody could have. You know, like I mentioned before, how limited will players be? Will it be like you're almost in, you know, confinement or can you kind of roam out? And Silver said that it would be like a college campus sort of feel that they're going for where you can still do things, but like just with the players. So they, they've kind of big picture, not just the on-court play or the standings. Big picture, they have every little detail pinpointed and, and there's some promise there. But then as far as the play itself, now we know exactly how that eight, nine thing is going to work for the seating. Yep. If you're within four games, you get a play-in game. And now that the rest of the plan is fleshed out, we could actually start talking basketball and, and the actual games and the standings. So it, it's a little bit easier to kind of sort out in the East because it's just the Wizards five and a half games back. Mm -hmm. The West is more muddled because you've got four teams within four games of the eight seed right now. Uh, we'll start with the East because obviously Washington, we followed it closely all year. Yeah. Do you see the Wizards getting into a play-in game or no? To me, the Wizards, it all comes down to whether or not John Wall plays and what kind of John Wall we get. They obviously have to make up two games over an eight-game stretch. I can't remember the eight teams they play off the top of my head. I know Milwaukee's. Uh, two of those teams. Obviously, all the teams they're playing are good because they're of the 22 remaining teams who are all going to be in the playoffs mostly. I think if Wall plays, they possibly have a chance. Um, my gut, though, is telling me that probably not. It's just their schedule's tough. Not only do you need to win and keep pace with the Magic, but you need to have them lose games as well. While they're also trying to win, I know the Nets could drop down to that eight possibly as well, but I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the Wizards can catch them and force that playing game. Yeah, the Wizards' schedule was, it wasn't among the easier ones. It wasn't among the harder ones. The remaining schedule is kind of somewhere in between. The Magic, though, who they are chasing for that eight spot, they do have one of the weaker strength of schedules remaining. Uh, it, it's, it's not impossible because the Wizards are only two games back. Throw, right. out, throw out the half a game right exactly. now because that doesn't mean anything because everybody's playing the same amount of games. So essentially they're six games back as opposed Correct. to five and a half. So they need to make up the two games. Magic have an easier strength of schedule. You don't know what John Wall. I will say that the, the Wizards have been streaky, and if they can be hot and Bradley Beal can be going off, they have a shot 
But you're asking a lot for the Wizards. They have to make up those two games and then win back-to-back games against the Magic in that play-in. You know, with all these games, they'll be playing in a limited amount of time. A team like Milwaukee, if they're, you know, playing a back-to-back or whatever, you don't know how many minutes Giannis will play exactly. while the Wizards will be playing everybody. So that'll obviously be something exactly. to look for as well. The West, the, though, yeah. the West is more muddled because you've got the Grizzlies sitting in the eighth seed right now, and then four teams are already in that play-in sort of distance. So really it's kind of a battle for – for the ninth seed to, to kind of catch the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies do have one of the toughest strength of schedules remaining, but in order to ensure being in the play-in game, they've really only got to worry about winning like two or three games to at mm-hmm. least guarantee themselves a play-in. Uh, I kind of disregard the Spurs, especially after the news that LaMarcus Aldridge oh, had surgery. Right. Exactly. I, I kind of write them off. The Kings, being a kind of a younger, inexperienced team who kind of surprised some people to even be where they are, I don't really look to them. I think it comes down to the Blazers and the Pelicans, the two most talented teams vying for those last couple of spots. Um, the Blazers are probably going to get Yusuf Nurkic back to, to go in the mix with Lillard and McCollum. The Pelicans, they were, they were hot, young team, Zion. Uh, it it's comes down to those two for me. And again, there's so many variables that you don't know. Like you mentioned, it's a great point that you don't know some of the guys, teams that they're playing, well, they rest players. So right. it's going to be so random and weird to kind of see how this all sorts out because somebody on paper like the Wizards, like you said, might have a harder strength schedule right now. But all of a sudden, if Giannis sits out or in, in the West, if the Pelicans have the Lakers and if LeBron sits out because it's a, back, it's a back-to-back, yep. that changes things. So I, I can't really get too much into the, to the games and the schedules because you don't know what it's going to look like, uh, who's going to be playing. But just talent-wise, I like the Blazers and the Pelicans. I actually wouldn't be surprised. Like I said, the Grizzlies probably only need to win two, maybe three to keep their spot. But I wouldn't be surprised if they fail to do that because they do have a really tough schedule coming up. Uh, I think they were top five in strength of schedule remaining in terms of how difficult it is. And they were a young – we talk about young teams who were hot riding it into the playoffs. They were young hot riding it into the playoffs. So how will they react to this adversity of a four-month layoff? You know, they've got John Morant and a lot of other young talent, but how will they react to going from four months off to a playoff push right away now? The Blazers are definitely the team that the Grizzlies don't want to face just because of McCollum and Lillard and the experience that they've had in the postseason. The Pelicans will be interesting because of the young stars that they've had, this long layoff. You wonder how it'll help them. I think, though, what, we were, what you were talking about, we were talking about with the Wizards, there's the saying in the NFL on your schedule, it's not about who you play, it's when you play them. Exactly. And that's what all these games will be about. It'll be about who the Grizzlies, Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs all play and when they play them, who's resting and all that. I think the Grizzlies will safely be in. It'll come down to the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, and Spurs, and you'd have to think out of that group with the experience and the star power, you'd have to lean for it. Yeah, again, I I don't necessarily think the Grizzlies will drop out because they do have a decent enough lead. But again, it wouldn't surprise me just because they're a young team. Who It's just a question mark how they handle the adversity. And the Blazers and Pelicans are very, very talented. I think the best way for me to put it would be, as far as who gets the eight seed after the play-in game, if it's Blazers versus Grizzlies, the Blazers are coming through. If it's Grizzlies versus Pelicans, toss up, I probably give it to the Pelicans. If it's Blazers versus Pelicans in the playing game, I probably give it to the Blazers. So it's going to come from those three teams, and it's just going to depend really on, 
like you said, who plays which team and when. Exactly. And then, and then you kind of go from there. And I'm excited to see how this all plays out because it's while you're going to probably have some games that are duds because, like you mentioned, back-to-backs, people rest. But there's going to be a lot of very intense basketball. No question. Those eight, those eight games are going to have a, a big-time playoff feel. So I'm very, very excited. And, look, we go from nothingness for how long we've had nothingness to, to everything coming at oh. the same time. I, I read an article this week that some networks are going to have problems like finding the yeah. the way to put everything on TV because there's just going to be so much. So I'm not complaining about that. They're going to need a Fox Sports 18 and a CBS, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The I mean, they the might. The right. Ocho. It's got to exactly. be a real thing. Instead of, just, instead of just cornhole, which I've loved watching during quarantine, it's going to actually have basketball games on it. So it I, might. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a very, it's a very exciting time right around the corner. We're looking at the end of July. I guess that's still kind of a long way to go, month and a half, but – Hey, we've waited this long. What's another month and a half? So it's, it's on the horizon. Golf is back this week. One sport that we are also excited to get back end of July is the NHL. And we talk about plenty of hockey with our guest for the day, Joe Beninati, play-by-play voice of the Washington Capitals between uh, the league and the games themselves and how the playoffs might play out to just some incredible stories about the Capitals and their cup-winning season. Joined now by the play-by-play voice of the Washington Capitals, Joe Beninati. Joe, thanks so much for joining us and being here. How's everything going? PJ and Joe, it's my pleasure. Hey, you know, thank you very much for making me go to work today. There's been been far too little of that for far too long. So this is good. I get to wear wear my right logo rep. There you go. go So it's good to see you. There you go. It's great to hear. The only thing that would be better if we were doing this from an ice rink. Exactly. It's great to hear a familiar voice. I know for me, one of the things in the last couple of months has been, I should have been hearing your voice. I should have been hearing Gary Cohen's voice for the Mets. I should have been hearing Doc Emmerich's voice and we haven't heard it. So it's great to, to hear your voice more than anything. Well, what that, the last? That does, what, mean, that does mean a lot, guys. I'm sure you get used to these habits and especially at this time of the year. So uh, I think we're all feeling a little bit um, withdrawn from all of that. So yes. let's start speaking positively and start speaking optimistically. Exactly. When we go through the questions here, we're going under the assumption for everything that, you know, sure, there's the 900-pound elephant in the room that something bad could happen and the restart that is proposed doesn't happen. But we're going under the assumption that everything is going to go as planned because we need some good news and we want to we want to work off of that. Joe B, just getting right into it. When you saw the NHL's return to play proposal, what were your initial thoughts about it? PJ, I wasn't overly thrilled with the 24 teams, but I understand that the NHL in this most unusual of seasons wanted to include as many people and as many teams and as many markets as possible. So I'm not going to quibble with that. But if I had my druthers, I might have shrunk it maybe to 20. Mm. I might have even shrunk it to 16, to be perfectly honest with both of you. I would have almost, hey, every team's played 68 games roll back to 68, seed them from there, and let's go giddy up. But um, I, it, more than anything, I just think opening it up to 24 teams is going to take a long time in the process, and I don't know if time is on our side there with respect to where we are in the world of the virus right now. But uh, I was thrilled that the league, the Board of Governors, the owners, the Players Association, that they were able to come to an agreement on a return-to-play program so, again, I, I don't want to be a pessimist about this. I want to speak optimistically about it. And 
let's go giddy up. I, I hope we can do it as soon as possible, as safely as possible. Now, in terms of the play itself, uh, there's the round robin play for the top seeds, and then there's the, the play in five game series for the lower seeded teams. In terms of the round robin play, uh, what do you foresee being the intensity? Is it going to be a playoff intensity? Do you think teams are going to kind of treat them as tune ups and not really care so much about the seeding? Well, I hope so now with regard to, I think the players managed to get their wish from the board of governors, from the commissioner with respect to seating. I think we've seen in the last 24 to 48 hours, we've seen the league go away from the hard and fast bracket format mm -hmm. to a reseeding with each round. Uh, once we start the 16 teams, once you play into 16, there's going to be a reseeding with each step. Uh, I think that was something that the players were adamant about. One of the things I didn't like uh, with regard to the, to the top four getting the bye and the round robin for those teams, heck, Boston was going to run away more than likely. I realized we still had whatever, 10 games left for most teams. But Boston was going to win that President's Trophy. They were playing extremely well. They had a comfortable lead. In my opinion, they deserved to be the top seed. But now you're going to let Boston – play against the likes of Washington, Philly, and Tampa for that top four seeding. So, guys, if what I understand is true, uh, whomever comes out of that top four round robin little mini tournament for the top seed, they get the lowest remaining seed after the play-in round. So you want that. So you're going to play hard. I don't think it's going to be a grip and grin sort of giggle session, no hitter. Yeah. I think they're going to need to get to be up to as – high speed as they can right from the get-go. On the flip side of that, Joe B, do you think that if the 9 through 12 seeds, if they have a lot of success in the playoffs this year, could you possibly see a few years down the road the NHL maybe expanding from eight teams in each conference to maybe going to 10 teams? Or is this year just such a crazy abnormality? We should treat it as such, and the eight teams will be in the playoffs for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I'd like to stay at 16, PJ, especially uh, once um, Seattle comes in and you have the 32 teams, balance it out. You know, there are some people who would like to see it seated, uh, you know, one through eight or one through 16, regardless of conference. And I know that travel concerns come to mind with that regard. I know the NHL a few years back would was always hoping to get those natural playoff rivalries by the way they had structured the playoffs that we've that we've come to know in the last uh, handful of years where you're going to pretty much be more than likely to get a Washington Pittsburgh series more than likely to get a Washington New York series they wanted to have a Philadelphia Pittsburgh type series those natural rivalries I completely understand that I, I just want the most fair type of tournament I don't necessarily want to go back to the time when I believe there were 21 teams in the NHL and 16 of them made the playoffs. Yeah. That, that to me is too much. I, I, I like the 16. I like the 50%. Once we get Seattle in 16 out of 32 sounds just fine to me. Um, I guess a lot of that stems from the fact that I've been connected to a team that's been a pretty high seat <laughs> for the last five, six, seven years. And you don't, I don't necessarily want to see those instant upsets. I don't want to see all four number one, uh, division winners like last year bounced in the first round. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's good. I, that makes the regular season seem hollow to me. You mentioned the upsets from last year. 
there's kind of a couple ways you can see this long layoff playing out and, and the, the return to play. Do you think it will lend itself to more upsets as everybody has to deal with the rust? Or do you think it's going to lend itself to fewer upsets as a lot of the times those lower-seeded teams ride the momentum of a late-season hot streak and the home crowd that they won't have anymore? Joe, anybody who tells you they can handicap this tournament is bold <laughs> lying to you. You can't. You can't because by the time we get into it, and it sounds like best-case scenario is late July, early August. By the time you get into it, most teams will have spent an entire normal off-season out of play. So this is, the, this is not the resumption of the way it was in March. I don't know that you can figure it to be that way. If you were, you know, a team like Philadelphia that was going great guns in March, that more than likely would have passed Washington and Pittsburgh for that Metro Division title. Sure, we would have automatically minted Philadelphia as a contender. I don't know what the Flyers are going to look like after a four-and-a-half-month layoff. Nobody does. And now you bring in the fact that you've had this long of a, quote, rest, which has allowed all the teams that had major injury problems to heal. A team like Columbus, which was so battered during the regular season, losing so many of their regular players, those guys, for the vast majority, are going to be back on the ice. And a lot of them are going to be ahead of speed with respect to everyone else, a team like, again, I'll go to Columbus. Seth Jones has actually been on the ice rehabbing way in advance of any of the phase two, phase three type True. training camps or return to play protocols. So uh, a team like Colorado, which was so injured and so good, by the way, watch mm -hmm. out for the avalanche. They're healthy now. A team like Pittsburgh is going to get Jake Gensel back. Hello, that's one of their prime goal scorers. So if you think you can cherry pick this, handicap this, I don't know. You're, you're better than me. Your crystal ball is much better than mine. You say there's no way to handicap the playoffs this year. Of those lower-seeded teams, who could you see possibly making a deep run in the postseason? Well, think about the 8-9 um, matchup in the play-in round, Toronto-Columbus. I, I, I think the world of the job that uh, John Tortorella has done in Columbus this season They've got two goalies, especially one in Elvis Merce-Leakins that very few people know about or remember from back in March. They have the type of team now that gets healthy with John's work ethic that, to me, scares the bejesus out of everybody in the East. I just think that that team is, is made for playoffs. We've seen them give the Washington Capitals back in 2018 all they could handle in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That, that team sort of frightens me. Uh, I love what Vancouver can do when they put their best team on the ice and they get Jacob Markstrom, a healthy Jacob Markstrom. Now, where's the rust going to be on him since he hadn't played since February? But if he's back in what likely was Vesna Trophy finalist type form, Vancouver is a team to watch out for. They are definitely on the rise. Their younger talents are blossoming at all the right moments. And I, I just think that, you know, there could be your potential kind of, of dark horse team. Um, that's one East and West, but I think the matchups are really interesting. Uh, Carolina, who everybody respects the job that Rod Brindamore does. Again, another team with tremendous work ethic, another team that's been getting healthy. Dougie Hamilton will be ready to go whenever we resume the play. Uh, but they're bumping into a New York Rangers team to beat them four times in the regular season. Does that mean anything? I, I have no idea. Are the Rangers a team now with Igor Shesterkin more than likely taking the goalie mantle from Henrik Lundqvist. Are they a team to, to watch out for right now? Could be. And they're an 11 seed. So who knows? Once you get them all into the ring, um, we'll see how it goes. And now I, I just, I'm very interested to see how the NHL whittles down into where the hub cities are going to be. And I don't know 
what it's going to be like to play inside of an empty arena. Um, these players are super motivators. They're fast starters. They're self-starters. Do they need the crowd to get themselves pumped up? No. Are the crowds healthy? Uh, helpful? Absolutely. But this is a tournament, should it come off the ground, that we're going to be really intrigued to watch because there are so many unknowns. Now, again, so many unknowns. You don't have to make a specific pick. Uh, but who are, I guess, a couple of the bigger guns that you can see hoisting the cup when the dust settles? And why is your answer not my New York Rangers? I just gave your New York Rangers some love, Joe. <laughs> Joe, I just said your Rangers are likely to bounce Carolina, and Carolina's a pretty but, good playoff team. But you didn't say they would lift the cup. So, so no, 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 I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I, I, still think, I still think that the top four seeds are the top four seeds for a reason. Of course. And I would likely suspect that one of those eight teams, whether the four East or four West, are, are likely to win it. Again, I throw my palms up at you and say, who knows? Um, big guns likely to win Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's talent is super rich everywhere you point. I mean, they look so good getting off the bus size wise there. I mean, it's just spectacular. And it starts in the back with a superhuman talent in goal who can be inconsistent. But when Vasilevsky's on, there aren't very many better. And at every position point, I can, I can locate a guy who I would say is, an elite level player and they're deep and I believe they're well coached by coach Cooper. Uh, I, and they have something to play for. And the fact that I think they won 62 times last year and they flamed out in six days mm -hmm. against Columbus. So there's that, there is that type of motivation of the giants. I, I, I sort of like them uh, in the East. I really love the way Philadelphia was playing. And from a X's and O's standpoint, Alain Vigneault had them going really well, Joe and PJ. That He had them shaped up well. Their top prospects were learning and maturing at just the right time and taking a real grasp to what they were doing. Their veteran star players are still more than worthy. Guys like Giroux and Voracek. Couturier may be the Nicholas Backstrom-type player that nobody really knows about or firmly appreciates. He's a wonderful two-way player. Philadelphia has it all. Corey, uh, the, the young goalie, uh, Hart, is it, it's, yeah, this will tell you how out of shape I am. <laughs> um, the young goalie in Philadelphia who is getting better and better and better is likely to be the guy. I know his home road splits were a little bit alarming. His play at home was so good. But I, I just think that they're in that discussion. Um, and and any time, I, I, a team like Colorado, to me, when the Caps saw them head-to-head, -head, they were as good as any team I've seen all year. Unbelievable speed. Now, are they ready to excel in the, in the proving ground that's the Stanley Cup playoffs? We're going to learn that. But a player like Nathan McKinnon is so breathtaking, and he can take a team on his own shoulders and carry them a long way. Now, shifting gears a bit, <clears throat> excuse me, from the league as a whole to the Caps, as a vet-heavy team that was kind of enduring a prolonged slump before this, do you get the sense that this break was almost welcomed by them in any way? As, only in terms of the on-ice aspect of it. Obviously, you never wanted this break, but from an on-ice standpoint, was it welcomed in any way? Well, I think about where they were at the end of, or at the, end of the, the, the playing time, the pause time. I, saw, I, I had started to see an uptick in their play uh, in early March. There wasn't a large sample size, but as you mentioned, you called it a slump. They were, you know, they were a 500 hockey team for the better part of six to eight weeks. 
their start was really, really good. I mean, it was it looked like they were world beaters, but I think they were outscoring some of their flaws, some of their deficiencies early in the season. They were winning games maybe they shouldn't have. And that tends to balance out. And I think we were starting to see that around uh, the time of February. And they were just metza-metza. They were just 50-50 all the time. Uh, I did think that, yes, as one of the top, I think, three or four oldest teams by average age, the Caps could have used a break. Could they have used a four-and-a-half-month break? I don't know. Could they have used a month off? Yeah, to recharge the batteries. This is normally, normally, not a very fast starting team. So it, it behooves us, I think, to do some research on who are the best teams in the last three or four years in October. Now, people will say, Joe, 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 wake up. Our caps were 13-2-4 and four this season. That's a really good start. But I'm telling you that they were doing some things. They were getting away with things in that stretch and winning hockey games. And good hockey teams find a way to do that. But they were finding a way to win teams that may, uh, finding a way to win games that maybe they didn't deserve. And I don't believe that Braden Holtby will ever be regarded as a fast starter individually. His Octobers aren't very good. He turned, tends to be tremendous in November and December. Do you have that luxury once play resumes? No. You, you've got to have your best guys playing their best right from the get-go. And Braden is a, an, is a special type circumstance in where he is contractually. Obviously, he wants to play well to earn himself another deal, whether it be in Washington or elsewhere. And, and this is the time for him to emerge as, hopefully, for his sake, an elite goalie who gets paid like one. Joe B., not many people know Alex Ovechkin better than you do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the season was cut short. He was on pace for another 50-goal season. As someone who covers him so closely like you, how is he still putting up the numbers that he is at this stage in his career? Well, just like that 87 guy in Pittsburgh, Alex has an incredible drive to win. Uh, it is. Um, it, it's gigantic. And one of the cool things about my job, PJ, is that I get to see a player like Alex Ovechkin, a player like Nicholas Backstrom grow up. Truly, I, I meet them when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, and I get to see them grow up into being young family men. I, I get to see them begin as stars in a rock and roll band, you know, playing a, their lives at 1,000 miles an hour, and Alex Ovechkin still does that. He sleeps at 1,000 miles an hour. It was one of the reasons why I was so hopeful that the Caps would win the Stanley Cup someday because I wanted to see just what Alex would do in celebration. And we all saw that in 2018. That's the way he lives his life. He burns to win. And that's what motivates him at this age to be the best player that he can possibly be. And I'm sure that the motivation is still incredibly high. Even though he has one, maybe the most important number in his life is two and not 894 like some have suggested. Yeah, I, I think he would love to eclipse winning Gretzky. I don't know if he's going to play long enough to do that. I don't know if his, his scoring acumen will stay as high as it is, but there's been no sign of a fall-off. But I think the number two, as in two Stanley Cups, means more to him than 894, at least right now. He's got two sons now as well, so, so congrats yeah. to him on that. I know yeah. that, just, uh, that just was some good news during, during all that's going on. Uh, do you have a favorite Ovi story to tell from all your years covering him? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give you one. Um, I, I can't give you that one. Jeez. <laughs> I can't give you that. There are some you can't and you can't. Of course. Do. Better thank question. Goodness, your favorite one that you can tell. Yeah, Joe, thank goodness <laughs> I started down that road and I pulled up. Um, 
gosh, too many, too many come flooding back. Um, I'll give you one that's when Alex Ovechkin first stepped on the ice in, in DC at the practice rink and Ole Kolzig was watching it. I was sitting five feet away from Ole. Ole wasn't on the ice. It was one of those, you know, informal workout things. And uh, Ole watched Alex shoot the puck and literally jaw dropped. Now this is Ole Kolzig. This is the guy whose name is littered throughout the Caps record book. And this is no amateur player. You know, for me, a would-be amateur goalie watching Alex Ovechkin, yes, my jaw drops. <laughs> this is not, this is Ole Kolzig. This is a player who's won the Vesna Trophy in the best league in the world. And he's watching Alex Ovechkin, and he is literally, oh, my God. That was so impressive to me. And there are a lot of stories that I can relate about Alex that are, uh, are like that, similar to that. But Ole's opinion was something that I always took um, especially close to home because he was such a great go-to guy. You know, people in the media would refer to him as a great quote. Yeah, he was a great quote, but he was also someone who, on background, in private conversations, hey, Oli, tell me about the. He was so helpful. He was so genuine and so learned about the game. And then he's watching this young pup who's got all the reputation, who's got all the hype. And now, you know, you would expect a star player in his own right, an all-star caliber goalie would go, yeah, okay. Oh, his eyes were as big as mine. And... It just so happened that that player lived up to the hype. And Ole still to this very day thinks he's one of the best, if not the best goal scorer of all time. And it's hard to argue with that. You alluded to it already a little bit, but you along with every other Caps fan thought about what it would be like if they ever got to hoist the Stanley Cup when they finally won it and they hoisted the cup. What was going through your mind as you were watching them skate around T-Mobile Arena? Oh, PJ, this is, um, this is one question that hits close to home. And I will, uh, I'll gladly tell you a lot of the feelings that I was going through at that time. But there are some that are incredibly good. And there are some that were really, really um, bad. Let's go that way. Let's make it easy. Um, and people will go, Joe, what the hell are you talking about? All right, let me explain. With, uh, with a third period unfolding, at T-Mobile Arena, I was there in a pre- and post-game capacity. I was an interview guest. I was an, you know, a road analyst working with uh, Tarek El-Bashir, Rob Carlin, and Alan May. The four of us were on the road for the conference final and the Stanley Cup final, and I'm forever grateful to NBC Sports Washington for sending me there to, so that I could see with my own eyes. This was a, a great, wonderful achievement, and you don't ever know when it's going to happen again. Personally, selfishly, as a play-by-play -play man, I want to be calling those games, but I can't. And that selfishly, personally, was tough. So with seven and a half minutes to go and Lars Eller scores in game five, my emotions were so incredibly mixed. The highest of the highs for the group of players I've worked with for so long, for ownership, for management, for the coaching staff. For the players on the ice, for the fans in the stands, I could not be more overjoyed when it looked like, oh, my God, they are actually going to win the Stanley Cup. And for me, having been connected to the team since 1994, this was an amazingly wonderful, heartwarming achievement. At the same time, I tell you that 
there was the other side of me that was like, oh, wow, boy, I wish that I could be talking and describing this with Craig Lachlan. I wish that I could be getting Alan May's insights, Al Koken's insights, our studio group of, of analysts. I wish we could have put our stamp on it. What would we have said? So for prosperity's sake, 20 years from now, boy, hit the replay on Joe and Craig and all that NBC Sports Washington. There is none. And that was amazingly frustrating in the midst of all the highest of highs of feeling good. 10 seconds left. I'm trying to get from where we were. You know, I'm, I'm 20 yards behind the glass being um, sort of held back in a group of media with no time left, two seconds left, that last draw. And no, did I expect to be running under the ice with them? No, that's not what I was saying. I just wanted to be as close to it as possible. Um, I'll, I'll bring you back even further, like five minutes left in, game, in the game after Eller scores, the Stanley Cup gets wheeled out right in front of me. The case is right in front of me backstage uh, at T-Mobile Arena. They start taking it out of the case. They start polishing it up. I'm literally fighting back tears of joy. That's an amazing moment that I will never, ever forget. And it's just you wanted, from a, from a broadcast standpoint, from a professional standpoint, I would have loved to have had the ability to put an NBC Sports Washington stamp on that show, on that game, on that series. Uh, but it's one of the greatest moments of my personal life because all of the people who had gone through all the ups and downs, all the incredibly heartbreaking playoffs past, were finally going to celebrate. And I'll, I'll never forget that night because it was so much mixed emotion. But the overwhelming emotion, more than the frustration, was the sheer joy that the Caps had done it. And uh, I couldn't be more happy for them. And the following uh, celebrations, the days and weeks <laughs> with the Cup, were f just amazing, incredible. And there are, there are stories to tell within that run, which we could go into if you like, which were things that I will never, ever forget. Uh, please, what's your favorite story yeah. from the, the seemingly – Beer-driven uh, bender of the summer. That, yeah, uh, Joe. That again, I'll, I'll I'll make it personal for you guys, and I'll, I mean, we'll pull the curtain back a little bit. Um, my favorite one, and there were, like I said, there were tons of them. Uh, my favorite one was at Cafe Milano. One of the few instances where the team was not sharing the trophy per se with uh, the city streets. They had done that. They had done the fountains. <laughs> they had done all of that. They had spent um, one night at Cafe Milano. Uh, and they went upstairs, and they were in a private room. And trust me, fellas, they were feeling no pain. <laughs> celebration had been day had been the full day long, and they were getting finally getting some food into their systems. But um, Craig Lachlan and I were having dinner a few blocks away. It's the first time I had seen Craig in quite a while. Remember, Locker was uh, in D.C. for the home portion of our coverage of the Stanley Cup final. So. I was out to dinner with Locke and, and with his family and Courtney's doing what she does. She's flipping through the phone and Hey, the Stanley cups at cafe Milano. And I'm like, gosh, that's not far from where we are. So off we go. And Craig and I managed to talk our way through the, you know, the, the whole restaurant is surrounded by thousands of people, but they're not letting those folks in locker. And I managed to talk our way through the guards past the Mater D and, and get upstairs. And um, here we go. I, I should tell you, that in my, what, almost 30-plus years of professional hockey broadcasting, I've been in the same room with the Stanley Cup a lot, but I've never touched it. 
ever. And that's just a product of my professional upbringing that I was reminded or at least instructed or told by past bosses. That's the Holy grail. That's for the players who play and perform for it, who, who sweat and bleed for it. You know, you're an accent piece. You're there to cover. You're there to explain. You're there to describe, but that trophy, that's, that's sacred. And I had never touched it. I swear to you. And Craig Lachlan who played for and who competed for the Stanley cup was of the same mindset that you don't win it. You don't touch it. And he had never touched it as well. So now with that in mind, we make this walk upstairs at cafe Milano and there is Lord Stanley's cup and the entire team in celebration and getting some food in them. Thank God they did. Um, and having a wonderful time. And this was the first time that we had seen them, privately since they had won the cup and one by one hey joe pick it up no 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 john carlson was the first to say it i'm like john no no we just wanted to come and and, and give you our congratulations shake hands with everybody tell you how happy how thrilled we are for you joe pick it up no john i i, I can't do that i i really i, I won't do that i'm not going to do that this is yours lars eller pick it up Tom Wilson, pick it up one by one by one standing. And it was so heartwarming to feel like this group of champions wanted to include me in that celebration. And that was a story and a night I will never forget. I picked it up. I picked it up to about shoulder high. I didn't put it over my head. That's <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't do that again. I didn't win it, but locker did too. Locker actually picked up the Stanley cup. And I was touched by that. I'll never, ever forget it. And I hope we get a chance to do it again and again. But we did for that one night. And the team, to have the team, I mean, one by one, Braden Holtby, everybody who was there, pick it up, pick it up. Sometimes putting an expletive in, picked up. <laughs> up. Um, That's so cool. It, it, was, it was pretty cool. That's incredible. Um, no easy way to transition out of that. But on a similar note, uh, what was the difference between the teams that fell short and that team? And then how do you think this year's team compared to that iteration? Okay, so I personally think the Caps could be a dynasty-type team and should be a dynasty-type team. I, am, I just told you, I'm forever grateful for 2018. I'm not going to be greedy. Uh, but if I were being greedy, the 16 team and the 17 team may have been better than the 18 team. Sure. Uh, and I think they were maybe on the ice. But you asked me what the difference was. The 18 team was able to overcome adversity, was able to take a punch in the nose and respond better than the one in 16 and 17. I think the one in 19 that lost to Carolina in the first round could have, would have, should have again. And things were laid out really well when you think about the top, the division winners falling in the first round, including Washington last year. It was set up again for them. to. So I'm talking dynasty. Maybe you pick off one of those 16, 17s against Pittsburgh. I think the team that won that Pittsburgh-Washington series in 16 and 17 was going to win the Cup, and it did. It was Pittsburgh twice. And then Washington beats Pittsburgh in 18, wins the Cup. Hmm, do you notice the trend? Yeah. 19. You could have, would have, should have. So there is that run there where you have been really fortunate as a hockey fan in D.C. to be enamored with a team that is really darn good and can go very, very deep. The 18 team found luck at the right time stayed healthy for the most part, played really, really well in the, cre in the key crucial instances, 
and overcame adversity. How many times would you have seen in the past Columbus or any team take the first two games in Washington in overtime and the Caps rally? No, that, that usually doesn't happen. How often does you, do you see it? Had you seen it happen in game three, the game that goes to double overtime in Columbus, Panarin hits the post late in regulation. Somebody else hit the post in overtime. Those pucks go in the net against the Caps in the playoffs in the past. In the next round, Kunakel in game six, where Kuznetsov wins it, Kunakel hits the post in overtime just moments before that series-ending goal. Good luck, good fortune, the ability to overcome adversity. Win the first two games against Tampa. Lose the next three in the conference final. Most of the times that we've seen the Caps in the past in their playoff history, they're done. Instead, they played two of the best games I've ever, ever seen the Caps play, and I've been around here since 1994. Game six of the conference final in Washington against Tampa Bay is maybe the best game I've ever seen the Caps play. I knew they were going to win the Stanley Cup after game six of the conference final. That's when I knew. I knew they would go to Tampa and get the job done. And I've said this before. I've disrespected Vegas all throughout the year. <laughs> they made me look stupid all throughout the year. I'll admit it. But I knew Washington could beat Vegas, and they would, and they did so. But that was a team that was more than anything, for whatever reason, punched them in the nose, lose top players to suspension, Tom Wilson, lose top players to injury, Nicholas Backstrom. They were able to overcome that adversity and win, whereas the teams that may have been even better and more talented in the past didn't or couldn't. Oof. Joe B, you're giving me chills walking down memory lane again. That's and some PJ, good stuff. And PJ, the, he's the Caps fan between the two of us. So, PJ, I can't even imagine what it's like for you here in this. The That's Rangers awesome. will get there one day in my lifetime. It's been 1994. I was born in 98, so, so we're not there yet, though. Joe B, before we get to our two closing segments that we like to do with each guest, real quick, we got to ask you about your wardrobe because it is next level. So do you have a favorite suit of yours that you bring out for maybe the biggest of games or something like that? Of course I do. Sure I do. <laughs> PJ, I got to tell you, uh, I haven't been in professional business dress since <laughs> I'm, I'm worried that I don't know how to tie a necktie anymore. I'm totally out of shape. But the, um, the wardrobe has, I don't know, it's overtaken the size of my house. I, I live in a town home. I have, I think I have one, two, three. I have four closets. They're overrun by clothing. I'm embarrassed to show people <laughs> how much, but it's a product of, I've been on TV here in DC for more than 25 years. No, uh, all those clothes aren't still in style or do they fit, but they're, they're still amassed here. I need to donate, I need to give away. Uh, but sure, there are, there are favorites in the rotation, the big games, there are, certain, there are certain ones that will make an appearance more than others. I try not to be too repetitive, so, I don't want you to see me in the same outfit night to one night on Monday. And then again on uh, the following Monday. And again, with all the clothes I have, it's a passion of mine too. I mean, I love it, but with all the clothing I have, you shouldn't see me duplicate any <laughs> outfit from game one through game 82. Now there's, there's too much of that. All right. The, the two segments that, that PJ teased then we call it the Swift seven. And then we got a trivia question for you. Um, Swift seven. Swift seven. Seven oh, questions. All right. I'm getting scared. Seven. I better, I better <laughs> stretch out. Now. Seven questions. Quick. 
don't think about it much. Just first that comes to your mind and a couple words or less. You guys uh, are question- really trying to get me in trouble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too bad. Uh, question, question one, better yeah. 80s dynasty, Islanders or Oilers? Oilers by a smidge. And I, I was there. Those, the Islander dynasty was my four years in high school. And I necessarily was not an Islander fan. My dad was a New York Rangers fan, New York City firefighter. And I, I would go up to my high school buddies. They're not going to win it again. Boom. They're not going to win it again. Screw you. They're not going to win it. <laughs> the Islanders were clutch. The Oilers, though, that, that's, oh, God, that's tight. But Oilers by a smidge. Number two, better beard, Holtby or Tom Wilson? Better. Better is better. <laughs> uh, uh, Wilson. Holtby's gets messy. <laughs> better goal scorer, over your Gretzky. Ovechkin. Oh, God. Favorite, favorite press box snack? Popcorn. Favorite city to visit on the road? Oh, man. Um, woo, Montreal. Favorite sport to watch besides hockey? Mm, college football. And who's the funniest player on the Cavs? Oh, uh, I know there are a lot of jokes. Oh, wow. Um Gosh, there are a lot of good ones. That's a that's a tough one. There are a lot of good ones. Uh, oh, she's pretty good. Okay, oh, pretty good. Cruise All right, Joe B. There's a lot of good ones. You made we it got, through the Swift Seven. There you go. Got through the Swift <laughs> Seven. You did very well. Oh. Uh, so we got a trivia question for you. We think it's pretty good. You know, we know as a play-by-play guy, you got all kinds of stats and things you keep track of. Uh, but I'm, out, I'm told you I'm out of touch. All right. <laughs> I need a phase three warm up. We're, we're, we're 50-50 so far. Tim Kirchin missed his question. Minka Fitzpatrick got his question. Tim Kirchin missed his question. I he know. Did. I, got no, I have no chance. <laughs> so here it is. Uh, Alex Ovechkin has scored 40 or more goals against four franchises in his career. Can you name those four franchises? We'll give you 90 seconds and you get three strikes. All right. He has and 40. Hang on. Don't, don't, don't. Push not yet. Me. Go ahead. He has 40 or more goals. Yes. Against four different franchises. Correct. Yes. Throughout can, his career. Yep. Can you name them? Okay. Yep. All right, Joe B. Your time starts now. Atlanta, Winnipeg. Correct. That's the one that we thought you, you had trouble on. So, so there we go. You're going to well get this. Well done. <laughs> Tampa. Correct. 40. Florida. Florida is 39. That was the one that I, I knew that was missed. close. I knew yeah. that was Stri- close. That's, that's strike one. Atlanta, Winnipeg. How many strikes do I get? A three? I'm out? Three. Three. Three, yeah. How much time do I have, please? Uh, you're Can at you use the word seconds. in a sentence. Can you give me the origin? <laughs> um, Atlanta, Winnipeg, for sure. That's a layup. Um, Tampa, for sure. Gosh, Florida, I knew he was close. You're at 40 uh, seconds. So you got 50 left. You got plenty of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay there. Um, 40. Philadelphia? No. 40. Well, he's owned, he's owned Lundquist. So Rangers? Not the Rangers. I struck out. That's it. Struck out. <laughs> so you got Winnipeg and Atlanta, which was yeah. tied with Tampa for the most. He scored at 48. Uh, those, are the, two, those are the easy two. 
The other two was Carolina at 43. That was my next guess, damn it. <laughs> and, and Toronto at 41. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't have got Toronto. Would have got three. Should have got three of the four. Would have, would have guessed Montreal before Toronto because he's owned Carey Price. Would have eventually gotten to, uh, to Carolina. Interesting. Well done. It's a lot of goals against that a lot was, of teams. That's, that was that's good. Not, that's not easy. <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I should have had three in a row because I thought Florida was a cinch. Yeah, right, 39 uh, is one away. That's because he hasn't played them enough. Carolina was in there. And the 43. Fourth, and the fourth one was Toronto. Yeah. 41. How many does he have against Philly? Philly, uh, we do not know. We just we kept track of the, the top four. And then I'll look it up for you real quick. Let me yeah, see. Alex. Ovechkin goals by opponent. Let's see real quick if I can find Carolina, this. Carolina should have came out of my mouth in the first three. Career splits. Uh, oh, here we go. Found it quicker than I thought I was going to. Philadelphia Flyers, he has 34. And the mm. Rangers that you guessed, he's got 35. Mm. So they're close on both. Close on both. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Close isn't any good. Close is a strikeout. <laughs> and I'm the authority on Ovechkin. I should have got that. <laughs> Wow, uh, that's you gave pitiful. us. You gave us an incredible. Actually, you know what I did was I did not pay attention to my strikes. I didn't play the game quick. right. I, I should <laughs> not. I should have. I should have just put those on my on my on a piece of paper in front of me, mulled it over, and then offered it rather than guessing because guessing led to strikes. All that means is we're gonna have to have you back in the future. No, we're gonna have to have hell no. <laughs> I struck out on Ovechkin. That's, I'm done. I'm used. to uh, Joe, we can't thank you enough. This was incredible. Uh, we started this here quarantine to kind of stay, stay into it. Like you said, when you came on, you haven't had to work in a while. Neither have we. And we've tried to kind of kind of keep it interesting and have some fun. So we can't thank you enough for coming on and, and entertaining us with all your stories. I haven't had any work in a while, obviously, by my Ovechkin answer. I'm <laughs> thank you so much, Joe. Really appreciate I'm, it. I'm afraid to find out what's going to happen in August. Let's go. <laughs> See you up. Hopefully it's a, it's a Capitals or Rangers. I'll, I'll give you the Caps. Hopefully it's a Caps or Rangers lifting the trophy. That's what we hope. I understand that, Joe. I know where your bread's buttered. At least the red, white, and blue. Exactly. Exactly. Take it easy, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was the great Joe Beninati, Capitals play-by-play announcer. And, Joe, I mean, how good were the stories? We knew we were getting a play-by-play yeah. guy. I mean, it'd be articulate. There'd be some good stories there. But the one he told of the Caps winning the Stanley Cup, especially we just had the two-year anniversary of it. For me being a Caps fan, I mean, that, that, was, some, that was some pretty special stuff. Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I was looking at your face the whole time he was telling that story, and it looked like a kid on Christmas morning. Like, <laughs> it's just your eyes absolutely lit up. And, hey, I mean – Play-by-play play guys, you look. You think of the likes of Vince Scully. I know here in the New York area, whenever I hear Gary Cohen for the Mets tell a story, right. or or Harry Rose tell a story for the Mets, they're the best storytellers in in most cases because they're always there. They always have the access. The the, the tidbit he gave us about that that uh, Olaf Kolzig story with Ovi. There's only a couple of people who were there for that practice, and he's one of them. So the, the insight that that he and and play-by-play play broadcasters can provide, it's invaluable and and the stories blew me away i mean i i had actually heard that stanley cup story before because he spoke at one of my classes at maryland and told it and 
as he was telling it, it wasn't as if I had previously heard it. It was as if I was hearing it again for the first time because he tells it so well and it's such a phenomenal story. But it, it's, it's incredible having him on to, to hear that perspective uh, as a broadcaster, as a fan. And just how in depth he can go on Ovi. Couldn't get the trivia question on Ovi. I was gonna he'll, say he'll he'll beat himself up over that, I'm he sure. Will. And and he'll have to come back like I like I had mentioned to him. He'll have to come back to redeem himself. But overall, incredible. And as far as his takes on where we kind of go from here when the NHL resumes, I pretty I think he pretty much nailed everything. There's one thing though that I wanted to point out that I, I do disagree with him a little bit on that I wanted to touch on here. The point that he made about going back and, and looking at which teams are notorious slow starters. Um, Cause he mentioned like the capitals with the exception of this season, they're notorious slow starters. So how will that affect them going from basically a four month off season right into the playoffs? And I don't necessarily know that that'll be the case because if you think about why teams start slow, part of it's rust, but you could throw that out the window because every team right now is going to be rusty. Every team had the same layoff. So everybody's on equal footing in terms of that. The other part of it is more psychological. You, you take a team like the Caps, for example. Every year almost, they're on a deep playoff run into May, okay? So they already have inherently a month shorter of an offseason than the majority of the league. So now in October, with a month less of rest than some other teams, you're asking them to come out and, and get amped up for a Wednesday night game against the Arizona Coyotes. Like, they're just not going to care as much right. because they know in the back of their mind that – okay, we'll flip the switch in January and we'll go on an eight-game winning streak and our slow start in October is forgotten. So I think that plays a lot into teams starting slowly, that psychological aspect of it. And you don't have that now because as soon as you get back now, it's the chase for the Stanley Cup. Everybody is going to be focused on that one goal. So everybody's on equal footing in terms of the rust aspect and that mental lapse that, that leads teams to start slowly should not be there. So I don't necessarily know that, that that'll be the case, that the teams who are notoriously slow or fast starters will follow that trend because the Caps, who are notorious slow starters, they can't come out and say, oh, we'll flip the switch in January. Like, No, it's you have your couple of round-robin games to determine the seeding, and then you're fighting for your life already. So I, I don't know that that'll go the way he said it. But everything else, I mean, I, I think he, he pretty much – nail on the head I pretty much agree with that was the one thing that stood out to me that I could see it going the opposite of how he said it yeah their teams really have no room like you said to slow start I mean especially aren't the first couple series they're best of fives aren't five. they? Best they, of five. the best so of five right exactly. so even more I mean you got to jump on it right away and some of the interesting matchups too like you look at the Blackhawks versus the Oilers you got a veteran team in the Blackhawks that have won multiple cups against the young guns of the Oilers, those kinds of series are going to be really interesting to see if those kind of rust things do play a factor, if experience plays a factor. There are a lot of different things that this new format and how the NHL and stuff that the NBA is going to face too with this long layoff, how all of these teams are going to deal with the long layoff and if rust will play a factor. And that's why I think like we were touching on with him, I personally think that this year more than any other year, again, like he said, it's tough to handicap and anybody who comes up with a prediction is, is pretty much a liar at this point. Then call me a liar. I'm going to, obviously it's our job, you know, to try to make sense of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think this year more than any other year, you're going to have fewer upsets because of all the variables that are taken out of the equation. There's no team that was hot in 
March, carrying that into the postseason. There's no riding your home ice advantage, the, the, the roar of the crowd. There isn't any of that. And everybody's got the same level of rust. So I think more than any other year, the cream is going to rise to the top this year. And the more talented teams will have an easier go of it. In the first round, first, second round, where there's a big talent gap between the top-seeded teams and some of the lower-seeded teams. That changes, obviously, as you go further along, and now you're getting the best of the best. But, you know, if, if my Rangers come out of the first round against the Hurricanes, we don't even stand a chance talent-wise going up against the likes of the Bruins or the Lightning Caps. Flyers are different. The Flyers were one of those streaky teams that were right. hot when the season ended. But those top three teams, the Caps, Bruins, and, and Lightning, the Rangers can't hold a candle to them. So it's – it's going to be tougher, I think, for those lesser talented teams to pull off the early upsets. And it's going to be really interesting to see, though, if there are any upsets at all. I really think the rust is equal for everybody, so talent really has a chance to win out, given that all the other variables are out of the equation. I think, too, more than ever, you always need a hot goaltender to win in the of Stanley course. Cup playoffs. But especially this year, if the goaltender's team – gets off to a maybe rusty start, a little slow start, and you need your goalie to win a game or two for you to start, I think that will play a big factor. And some of those first-round matchups, a team like Florida with Bobrovsky, or you look at some of the veteran teams, the Jets with Hellebuck, some of those teams who got good goaltenders who have been there before could maybe alone steal a series for their team. And that's why, for me, the, the first-round matchup in the East, at least, that I'm circling in red mark or looking at very closely is Penguins-Canadians. Penguins will get Jake Gensel back, and that's huge for them. But Matt Murray has – okay, he's won them a couple of cups, and he's shown right. that he could get streaky and hot in the playoffs. But he was very inconsistent this year, very, very inconsistent. On the flip side, when a, of all the goaltenders in the league, if they were all at their peak – Nobody is close to Carey Price. It's, it's Carey Price, Andre Vasilevsky, and then everybody else kind of falls in the line after that. Carey Price, at his peak, is the best goaltender in the NHL. It's not even close. And in a five-game series, the Canadians got lucky and got in. They were the low, lowest point total team to get in with this new format. In a five-game series, Carey Price can steal that. I'm not saying the Canadians will upset them, but I'm going to watch that series very, very closely because it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, it, at a, in a neutral site, like Carey Price steal it on the back end, you give them some some tough situations uh, on the other end of the ice, and maybe you steal a goal or two, and that might be all you need. That matchup's definitely intriguing. I love, too, in the East, the first-round matchup between your Rangers and the Hurricanes. Oh, yeah. You, I know talking to you, you love what the Rangers have done the past couple of years, how they built their team. You thought maybe they'd sneak in as a seven or eight seed. They get this opportunity now with the expanded playoffs to get some experience in the postseason. And they go up against the Hurricanes, who maybe were viewed as the Rangers of last season. Exactly. Kind of a team getting in, young and dumb, don't know any better to just play hard, a good coach carrying these younger kids and the hurricanes have that experience from last year i think this series can definitely go five games totally up for grabs and it's it's going to be it's going to be really interesting and i'll add too i think how beautiful it is to see a 5 12 6 11 matchup we didn't get march madness and this is kind of the closest thing we get so i do love True. that but those two those two matchups for sure in the east i think most yeah, people I, I, I tried to steer away from the Rangers series to not be a homer, but I'm really looking forward to that because, like you said, the Rangers are playing with house money. They've got nothing to lose, and they're getting Chris Kreider back. 
They were only a couple games out. Igor Shestrikin coming back. He got into that car accident with Pavel Buchnevich. Both of them are thankfully fine from it. But Shestrikin might not have played much if at all the rest of the regular season had this delay not happened. So they're getting all their pieces back. They went 4-0 against the Canes in the regular season. So there's a lot of – and as we get closer to the playoffs starting, we will go through and dissect each – match up more closely right uh, because obviously there's no live sports to talk about so we will talk about what is coming up in terms of that um that one obviously i'm looking forward to and it's got a lot of moving parts and then the, the penguins canadians for me uh, are the biggest the two biggest ones that, that i'm really looking forward to as far as contenders go uh, it's tough again because you don't know necessarily how the bracket's even going to shake out after that round robin for the top four seeds uh so, so we we can't get into that until actually after the play-in round. That's when we'll know the seedings, and we can go from there with the last 16. But Joe B had it down to eight. He said he thinks the cup winner is going to come from those top four teams in either conference. They were there for a reason. I think I could narrow it down even a little further. I think of those eight teams, the teams I'm looking at are Vegas. Then in the East, you're looking at the Lightning, the Bruins, and then back out West, I think – I give the nod to the Avalanche. The Blues are in first, but again, it's always tough to repeat. Um, they're getting some pieces back too from injury. Bennington could steal a series as he's shown last year, but I'm looking at the Avalanche with their speed and talent. I'm looking at the Golden Knights as a very complete, well-rounded team with Marc-Andre Fleury and Nett. I'm looking at those two in the West. I'm looking at the Lightning and the Bruins in the East. And I think for now, my tentative cup pick is going to just be the Lightning. They can basically roll whatever line they want defensively and it's almost a top line like their third d pair is probably the top d pair on a third of the league's teams and right. then behind that you have vasilevsky who when he's on is the only one in my opinion that is that close to carry price and then going forward i mean between stamkos back healthy and and kucherov, kucherov the, the list goes on, exactly the list goes on and on for them offensively and I think you mentioned college basketball. It's nice to see a 6-11 matchup like March Madness. For me, thinking about the Lightning this year, it takes They're my Virginia. mind back to, to UVA. Exactly. UVA lost the, to the 16 seed, came back next year, won the Cup. Lightning set tied the wins record last year, got swept by the 8 seed Blue Jackets. Was just going to bring that up. Yep. Big-time redemption story. So those, my, four, my four contenders are the Lightning, Bruins, Avs, and Golden Knights. Of that group, I like the Lightning. Totally with you. That was going to be my point is why I like Tampa so much is because I see them as Virginia. This group, they've been to the Stanley Cup before when they lost to the Blackhawks. They've been to Eastern Conference Finals. They know how to win in the postseason. And like you said, usually the NHL is so based on upsets, but I'm with you. I kind of just feel like this year might be mostly chalk. The cream rises to the top and nobody has better talent than Tampa. No, it's it's not even Joe B was talking about when they get off the bus. I mean, they just look yeah. different than everybody else. And when they get on the ice, they look pretty different than everybody I mean, else. Too. They, have, they have the talent to shut teams down defensively, and they have Vasilevsky. But then their defensemen, like Hedman, they also score. And, and right. Ryan McDonough can shut you down, as you saw him shut down Ovechkin for all those years in those Rangers-Capitals matchups. And they just it, it's just one after another. They don't have a bad line. Now they're a it's, machine. It's, they it's are, incredible. They're, they're and good. again, like this, going back to what we were saying about slow starters, they started slow this year, understandably, because there was that kind of hangover from last year, and, and it made sense. But now 
I don't think you can see, you will see them start slow in the postseason because they know what's on their mind. Redemption for last year, the talent they have, I think they'll just kind of run with it. I'm with you. All right, so now we'll get into our final two segments as we always do, the where would you go, Joe, and then, of course, the trivia questions for each other. Didn't cheat this week, Joe. You were on me about cheating, so I had to make sure I got June 11th this time when the podcast episode three drops. And we got four really good ones. Uh, I look at the list ahead of time. It is really good. A mixture of events. Luckily, you know, now we're starting to get to the time when multiple sports start to overlap. So we got answer choice A, June 11th, 1977. You get to see Seattle Slough win the Triple Crown at the Belmont. And remember, he was the last Triple Crown horse up until American Mm -hmm. Pharaoh. So that's definitely a big one. Answer choice B, you have the Rangers at the A's in 1990 where Nolan Ryan threw his sixth no-hitter. You got answer C, 2017 French Open. You get to see the king of clay, Rafael Nadal, defeat Stan Wawrinka for his 10th French Open title. Or you get answer choice D, Devils at Kings, game six with the Kings leading 3-2 to two in L.A., and you get a chance to see the Kings hoist their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. You know, this, once is, we started, this is the best this we is had. Great. This is, this is once, we, once we started this segment, I knew in the back of my mind I was going to be looking forward to a couple of weeks from when we started because that's when you start getting to the championship. Exactly. And, and I really had a tough time thinking about this when I saw the, the initial list. Seattle Slew, the Triple Crown, I enjoy watching the, the three Triple Crown races every year. Not a big horse racing guy. <laughs> as incredible as the Triple Crown is, that was one for me that – would be fun, but I'm putting it to the side. Uh, Nolan Ryan's no-hitter, I've always – that's kind of like a bucket list item that you don't have any control over. And Correct. It's luck Everybody being, feels – yeah, they want yeah, to see one. Sure. Being at a game with a no-hitter. So, yep. so that one really stuck out to me. That one's in the mix. Answer C, the 2017 French Open, the doll beating Stan Wawrinka. That one for me went aside because, look, there's no novelty in that. It was his 10th French Open title. It's not like it's anything new. So it's kind of like been there, done that, seen that, just a different opponent. Okay, being there would have been cool, but you knew the outcome of that match before it started, basically as it's been for the last decade plus with Nadal on clay. So that one goes away for me. It's between B and D. Devil's Kings, Cup in the building. I know they clinched on this night. They did lift the trophy. Um as cool as the no-hitter would be and as much of a bucket list item as that is that people want to see it, I got to go with D. Uh, the Stanley Cup is the best trophy in hockey. The NHL has the best playoffs in all of sports. It, a chance to win your, your franchise's first title. I hate the Devils as a Rangers fan. So to see the Kings then do that against the Devils, that was the one that, that stuck out to me the most. I picked that one. I go see them lift the cup and, and really enjoy the excitement of that night. Interesting. Personally, I would have gone Seattle Slough, Triple Crown, and I'll tell you why. I ran into Marlins Man uh, about a year or two ago, and I asked him, of all the sporting events you've ever been to, what's your favorite one? And he said, watching American Pharaoh win the Triple Mm. Crown. He said, when you have 150,000 people all screaming and cheering for the same horse, it was unbelievable. I understand back then there probably wasn't 150,000 people there. They obviously didn't have social media. But you talked about history with the no-hitter and how that's on everybody's bucket list. For me, to see a horse win a Triple Crown, uh, see, especially I'll tell you what, rare as it is. I'll tell you what, if this would have been American Pharaoh's Triple Crown, 
I might have leaned that way more just because it had been so long since there was one. But back in this era, Fair. it hadn't been as long previously before Seattle slew one. So it wasn't as um, – there wasn't as – it's obviously incredible, but there wasn't as much of a mystique of a around it yeah. because there wasn't as big of a gap. So if it was American Pharaohs and maybe – I don't know the date that American Pharaoh won. Maybe that comes up next week. But if it were that one, I probably – I might have gone that way. But just because there was such a big gap before American Pharaoh. Fair enough. I've got no problem with that. All right, and then we'll get into our trivia. So you're leading one nothing. I have yet to get one. I'm <laughs> hoping to get one this week. Um, but since you're winning, do you want uh, to give your question to me first? I, I will let you ask me the question first this week. Sounds good. All right. So I think you're going to like this one too this week. Going off of the trivia question we had for Joe B, we okay, asked okay. him – the four franchises that Ovi has scored 40 or more goals against in his career. So okay. I'm going to ask you the four franchises that Ovi has scored 10 or less goals okay. against in his career. Now, okay. remember, time won't be a problem. This is all about the strikes. It's really the guess, yeah. Exactly. It's all about okay. the guess, all right? So I'll let you think about that, and I'll put uh, 90 seconds on the clock for you. Start it whenever and you're ready. Let me know. Go for it. Vegas, because correct. That's I mean, they haven't had enough. That's Vegas, the, that's correct. The easy one because they haven't played enough. Um, my mind goes west because there's obviously a ton fewer matchups against Western Conference opponents. Um, I will say Vancouver. Vancouver is another correct answer. All right, that's two. I got plenty of time. It's just a matter of strikes right now. Um. Thinking more relatively recently added teams, also out west, the Minnesota Wild? No, not the Wild. Okay. Good guess, right. though. One strike. How much time do I got? You got uh, 40 seconds. So, you got 50 seconds left, just at the 40-second okay. mark. All right. So, I've got two. Um, does well on the California trips. Um, they don't play Arizona. Obviously, being out west. Arizona? Arizona is the correct answer. All right. Three. So you got right. one left. This is the toughest one of the book. Okay. And you got, uh, you got 22 seconds left. All right. And two strikes to work with. Uh, Buffalo Sabres. Not Buffalo, no. Okay. 15 seconds, an, one strike. I just wanted to guess an Eastern Conference team. It's <laughs> um, ah, tough. Uh, I'm going to go with the Anaheim Ducks. Oof, it is not Anaheim. Uh, it's right. the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, We're the last that team, one. That team crossed my mind, but I, I know that that they've had some decent battles in, like, the McKinnon versus Ovi, so I didn't think to say that. But He had, you know, yep, he had three against Vegas. They were the easy one. He had eight. He has eight against Arizona and Colorado and then nine against Vancouver. Yeah, that's a good question. One Appreciate away. Yeah, one small, away. You were close. Take a small, I'll take a small moral victory in that <laughs> Joe B only got uh, two right. Got two and you of got the three. Four, that's got correct. Three. I'll take a small moral victory in that. All right, my question for you. I think this is perfect. I'm excited. I'm excited. So many. I, I, I'll, I'll explain why afterwards. All right. Alex Ovechkin won the Rookie of the Year in the NHL in 2006. There were four players that year that got a considerable amount of the vote for, for Rookie of the Year. Okay. Two of the three, besides Ovechkin, are also, like Ovechkin, first ballot Hall of Famers. Can you okay. name who those two players are? 
currently still playing? I, or, I can't say that. Okay. Just who that year? They were there were four guys who got a considerable amount of the vote. Gotcha. Two of the three, like Ovechkin, are surefire first ballot Hall of Famers. If you could name the third guy who's more obscure, I'll give it to you on that one alone, but I know you're not going to name him. So okay. consider Fair the enough. question if you can name the two other first ballot Hall of Famers, and your time begins now. Yeah, I don't think I had NHL 2006, the video game, so I probably wouldn't get the <laughs> obscure guy. Um, Crosby? Yes. Crosby is the easy one. All right. So we got Crosby, OV, and uh, man, who else was that year? Like an older, um, I'll go with Corey Perry. No. One strike, um, 30 seconds gone. Okay. Let's see. Ooh. 40 seconds gone. Um, let's see. I'm wondering if it could be a goalie, like if it could be like a Lundquist or a Ryan Miller or, um, it's probably got to be a goal scorer though. I'll go with, um, let me think of a goal scorer now. Um, 60 seconds gone, 30 left. Oof. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go goalie. Was it uh, Lundqvist? It was. Was it? Nice. Beautiful. I love that question for you because, like, I know when we were in the office just, like, playing random sports trivia when we got our downtime, like, hockey's your least favorite. So I didn't want to make it too hard, but I didn't want to give you a layup. And I knew the way I phrased it. Like, it gave you a shot because <laughs> if they're a first ballot Hall of Famer, that was a rookie in 06. They were either still playing or recently retired now. So like, you would have a good pool of players to choose from. But even so, like, there were tricks in there because, you know, you think NFL Rookie of the Year, it's guys from the same draft class. But Ovi was the year before Crosby, but there was a lockout year. So they had the same rookie season. And Lundquist was drafted in 2000, but didn't they didn't make his rookie season until the 0506 season. So there were a lot of layers to that. And I, I, I'm glad that you got it because I would have been so I, mad if I had brought you, up his exactly. name. I'm and glad you got it because you would have awesome. hated yourself if you brought up his name but didn't still say it. Who's so there the, we go, one to one. Who was the other guy? Who's the Dion Fanuf. You were not getting that. Was not for the get Toronto Maple Leafs. Leafs. Yeah, he's you on the not Kings now, that. right? Is he on the Kings? Yeah, he's now? he's made his way around now. He's still clinging on, but he's not. Uh, he's had a decent career, but not <laughs> not not the other guys. So no, it, it was. That was good. Again, was I, I, like, awesome. I like that for you. You had a chance. I didn't want to make it too easy. I didn't want to make it too hard. I gave you a chance, and you got it. I would have laughed so incredibly <laughs> hard, though, if you mentioned Lundquist but still did not get it. Though. That would have been bad. That would have been bad. All right. That was awesome, though. That good, was good. Good hockey conversation. Uh, thanks again to the great Joe Beninati for joining us to talk some hockey. And uh, we look forward to next week's episode. We'll see. And then. we're getting closer and closer to more live sports. So PGA Tour is back, and we're getting closer and closer. We hope there's some baseball news to talk about next week. Uh, so, so we're getting there. The, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter, and we hope you join us next week, episode four of the Glass of Joe podcast.